Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Suppose I ought to open the show by addressing the very large elephant in the room. And that is that yesterday, Memorial Day, 2023, the streak was broken. Honest to goodness, I have no idea how far it goes back. I, I, I don't know how to. I don't know how to sort these by dates. I know it's dumb, because like some of the the one of the websites it runs on Eastern time, and there were times where I posted one at like ten the night before, so it technically looked like two shows got posted on the same day. I have no idea when the last time was that we didn't have five shows Monday through Friday. But the Iron Man streak is officially broken, which is both good and bad when you think about it. It's bad because, well, I I think there was a certain certain pride factor in having a show every single weekday for I don't know how many years now. Since COVID, at least, I think. Three years? Maybe more? But it's also good. It's also good. Because now it doesn't... It no longer has a life of its own. If I gotta miss a show in a month or two, eh, no streak. That needs to be... Cling to it. One thing I will say is that if I ever have to miss a show during the actual NBA season, we'll probably make it up on a weekend. And frankly, we might do weekend shows leading up to the year because that was a very popular thing that we did in the run-up to the 2021-2022 NBA season. We had weekend shows. I didn't plot it outright. I was like, oh, I'm going to do a weekend show every single weekend in October. And then... I think Sunday was October 31st, so it rolled right into the first five days of November. So I ended up doing, like, shows on 40-something, or, like, 30... No, because I think there was a weekend right at the beginning of the month as well. So it was, like, 37, 38 days in a row where there was a show. Don't necessarily expect that that is going to happen again, but I don't know. It might. I feel like I need to make up for it after missing a Memorial Day show. So anyway, the streak is broken. A new streak begins anew today. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the brand new week. Week 8. Although now we're not going to have to operate in fives anymore. We'll have a, a little four dangling in there as we count up off-season show episodes. Anyway, it's week 8 of the NBA fantasy off-season. And it's also the start tomorrow of the NBA Finals. Not tomorrow. Thursday? Thursday, the start of the NBA Finals. Thursday is also my 40th birthday. Oh no. Oh no. Yes, indeed. Nuggets currently favored by 8.5. Total at 219. Today we're going to be talking NBA. We got plenty of fantasy stuff we'll talk about over the rest of the week. Today we're talking just basketball. Because since the last time that I spoke with you all on uh, Friday morning, Friday midday? Doesn't really matter. Uh... There have been a couple of ball games, Saturday and Monday. Celtics won a wild game six in Miami on the Derek White last second tip in. And wow, what? A, I mean, Derek White. I know Boston ended up losing game seven, but 
Derek White was probably the second best player on the Celtics. Ahead of Jalen Brown. That does, you know, one playoff series, two playoff series, whatever, does not does not a player make, but what a steal that was. One of the best shot blocking guards in the NBA, if not the best shot blocking guard in the NBA. Big guards, ladies and gentlemen. That's really big everything. You need size on the wing, you need size at guard these days because everybody's just backing up and shooting, and you need to be able to contest. And then you also need to make sure that you don't get beat up a little bit. But regardless. Uh, so the Celtics are out. They lost Game 7 at home. Miami shot him out of the building. Uh, Jason Tatum turned an ankle. Robert Williams was apparently playing through a stomach bug. Blah, blah, blah. So on and so forth. Miami's still without Tyler Hero. And on and on and on. I mean, playoffs are a war of attrition. We kind of know how that goes. This, of course, series going seven games. Uh, Miami avoiding infamy. Avoiding the, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it ignominious? I think that's the one. What's the noun ignominy? Ignominy? I don't know the pronunciation of that. Anyway, uh, disgrace. Miami avoiding disgrace by winning Game 7 on the road after nearly blowing a 3-0 series lead. I was in Vegas over the weekend. Early 40th birthday present from wife, uh, mom, mother-in-law, etc. They all, the mother and mother-in-law took the children, split them up. Wife and I went to Vegas for a couple of days. I had the under in game six, and uh, that was well. It hit, despite the team scoring five points in the last three seconds. But we have all these things swirling now, news that has happened over the weekend. We have a finals to talk about. We have... Uh, some coaching stuff to talk about. I think the most interesting one is out in Philadelphia. We have perhaps the start of a new era in Golden State. Unclear exactly how this is going to shake out, but we're just going to dive right on in. So welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, Tuesday edition here on Sports Ethos. SportsEthos.com, the website. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, if you want to find me over there, at EthosFantasyBK. At Sports Ethos, we got all those things circling around. Let's start by talking a little bit about the finals, which again begin in a couple of days now. So the Heat have uh, today off. They're off today, Tuesday. They're off tomorrow, Wednesday. But when you consider the fact that the, the Nuggets wrapped things up a week ago, there is a colossal rest advantage on the Denver side. From a prep standpoint, you could say, oh, well, you know, the Nuggets couldn't really prepare for either team until they knew who was actually going to win it. That might be true, but even if they can sort of prepare passively for the two clubs, that is a big advantage. And just getting, staying healthy, all the little bumps and bruises along the way, the Nuggets now have had, it's already happened, time to... Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. 
Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. To heal. Now, you guys know with me, normally I fade a team coming off a seven-game series. And that's the direction that I would certainly lean in game one for Nuggets Heat. But it's a big line. Nuggets are favored by eight and a half points. That's a big number to cover. Total of 219 might be the place you aim to begin your fun. Because when a team is extremely tired, the way the Heat will likely be, and haven't had nearly enough time to prepare for what a, an extremely gifted offensive team like the Nuggets is going to throw at them, there's going to be some points. And then you're like, oh, well, what about the Heat being way too tired to score? Yeah, there's that, except when a team busts out to an early lead. And, you, you know, you saw a little bit of it in Game 7, but Game 7s are their own monster. So I don't want you guys to, to take Miami busting out to a lead as a sign of how those types of games go. When the Nuggets got up, maybe look at the Lakers series might be a better way to, to, to judge this. When the Nuggets got out to a big lead over the Lakers, the Lakers had to play a little bit faster to catch up. That doesn't mean that they weren't still running a lot of what they wanted to do. Lakers were still trying to go downhill, get to the bucket, get into the paint. But they were trying to do it quicker. Can't walk the ball up the court when you're down 17 points in the third quarter. You got to run it up the court. So you get into your offense, you know, shot clock's at 18 instead of 14. Seems like very little, but it adds up. Every two-ish minutes of game clock time, you've got like an extra possession. Six, seven, eight, whatever it is, extra possessions per quarter, that makes a big deal because teams are scoring about a point-ish per possession. So even if you take the low number on that and say four or five extra possessions per quarter when a team starts to fall behind, if you take two quarters of that, I can shift the final number of a game by eight to ten points. Three quarters, 12 to 15 points, things like that. So if you feel like the Nuggets are going to break out to a quick start, which I think they... They very well might, although rust can be a thing, so maybe the jump shots aren't quite as crisp, blah, blah, blah. Game one, you just you get a team's fastball. We've talked about it in these playoffs before. It doesn't always work out this way. Fading a team off a, ga- a seven-game series doesn't always work. I like fading a team off a seven-game series when they're the favorite. So, like, the Warriors against the Lakers was a great spot for it. Um, there was one on the Eastern Conference side that I'm drawing a blank. Oh, it was uh, fading the Celtics as a favorite over the Heat after their seven-gamer with the 76ers. But those teams were both favorites. Celtics were actually a relatively large favorite in their first game. Warriors were kind of a medium favorite over the Lakers. This is a different bird. The Heat are an eight-and-a-half-point underdog off their seven-game series, so it's not as sort of a sure bet kind of thing. And, you know, we've seen with the Nuggets, 
they can open up a lead. It doesn't always stay the whole way through. Sort of had a tendency to kind of come back to some of the teams they were playing more than others. They were able to trounce Phoenix a few times, but like that Lakers series, every one of those games ended up tight in the third or fourth quarter, and then the Nuggets pulled away in each of them. The beauty of that is the Heat get back into games with Jimmy Butler getting the foul line, clock stopped, and hitting three-pointers. Lots of points, fewer possessions. The way the game slows down with Miami is, first of all, as a series goes on, and then as they make their adjustments throughout a series as well. So as I look at this one, if you're looking at individual game, if you're looking at game one of the finals, uh, you'd certainly lean slightly to the Nuggets because they have this massive rest advantage. Uh, but to me, the the play that I would lean towards the most would be the over. But then you've got other stuff going on with this series as well. First of all, Nuggets are a minus 400 favorite to win the finals over the Heat. That's an absurd number. Even if you think the Nuggets are going to win, that's, I mean, that's a suggestion that they have an 80%, right? Yeah, 80% chance of winning the finals. Uh, I don't know, man. I do think the Nuggets win the finals, but that's a that's a big number to put on it. Heat plus 300. You know, they're, they're always going to have a little bit of a gap in there. Um, betting on the Heat right now, in my estimation, would be a grave mistake. Because coming off their seven-game series, they're in, a, they're in an absolutely awful position for Game 1. Nuggets have the huge rest advantage. Even if you don't think the Nuggets cover Game 1, you've got to think that they win it. So if you want to bet the Heat, probably do it before Game 2. Because at that point, like, if they go down two games, you probably no longer want to bet the Heat. Although, what? Finals are still 2-3-2, I think. So the uh, the team with home court has an even larger advantage. Because it's really hard to win a, three straight games on your own court, and, and that's what they're asking the, the lower-seeded, the road team to do in these series. So the Heat really have their work cut out for them. That's part, I think, of why the odds maybe tip a little farther in the Nuggets' favor than they might have been. But here's the thing. If you wanted to bet the Heat, or the Nuggets, frankly, like if you wanted to get in on a series price, don't. Because you can get better odds on awards, meaning finals MVP, where Jokic is minus 300 and Jimmy Butler is plus 325. Sure, Jamal Murray... Bam Adebayo, Caleb Martin, these guys are are possible names to also sort of sneak through with a finals MVP. But, but really are the odds that if the Nuggets win, it goes to somebody besides Jokic. Pretty damn low. Like, Jokic would have to be kind of bad. Would have to be kind of quiet in this series. Like, I thought that Jamal Murray was by and large the more important player in the series against the Lakers, and still all of the chatter out of that series was about how good Jokic was. Mostly because he had that first Mondo game. Mondo game. His rebounding was outstanding. That was a huge reason why the Nuggets were able to win that series. But, like, Jamal Murray getting lava hot between games two and three was probably the reason the Nuggets won those two games. And then, you know, Michael Porter hitting some big shots. Game four was like a little bit of everybody. And when that's the case, then the biggest name is going to get the recognition. So that was Jokic. 
And obviously, Jokic is incredible. I just, I personally thought Jamal Murray was more important in that series. And I don't know that anybody else felt the same way. But that, that that's all, that's the whole point. Doesn't matter what I think. Jokic is going to put up the gaudiest numbers, even if he's not the most impactful player. And, and the gaudy numbers pretty much drive the story. So if he's averaging like 20, 10, and 10, he probably ends up winning finals MVP. Conversely, on the other side, despite the fact that Caleb Martin had a, a world-beating Eastern Conference Finals, if they had to pick an Eastern Conference Finals MVP, it, it'd go to Jimmy Butler because he's the most recognizable name on that team by a wide margin. And like one of these other guys would have to have such an heroic series, even more than Caleb Martin did. And I don't think Bam, frankly, I don't think Bam has it in him to have that kind of an heroic series. So if you're looking at a series bet, instead think about the awards because Jokic is $100 cheaper than the Nuggets and Jimmy Butler is $25 larger on the underdog side than the Heat. But like I already said, um, this would be the day to bet Jokic before the series begins if you think the Nuggets are going to win it. Because if you think the Nuggets are going to win it, then you also likely think that they win both of their home games here. Probably win one out of three on the road and then come home with two chances to close it out. Right? And if you think the Heat win, then you think Miami probably steals game two. Maybe wins two out of three at home and go back to Denver leading three games to two. So to that end, if you're thinking about betting Heat, you probably do it after game one. If you're thinking about betting Nuggets, you probably do it before game one. But instead, as I've said already, maybe consider the NBA MVP prices instead because you get a better price on effectively, almost, almost, not all the way, almost the same wager. And then as I mentioned for the game, game one overs. They have a pretty good rate. Again, nothing is a sure bet. And frankly, considering all of these just keep hitting this playoffs, it almost feels like we're due for one to go the opposite direction just because. But Denver loves a good high-scoring game. Miami wants to try to slow this thing down. It takes a lot of energy to slow down a basketball game. It's so much easier just to get out and play free. And that's what happens in game ones. Teams just feel each other out. Elsewhere in the basketball universe, Warriors president and GM Bob Myers announced he's stepping down. He has not announced where he's going. The little birdies on Twitter have put out a few possible destinations. A year off, some other team that wants to make that big leap forward. Apparently, the Clippers have been courting him for a long time. ESPN has been courting him for a long time. But what does that mean for the Warriors? There's the kind of tongue-in-cheek explanation that, strangely, might also have some shreds, some kernels of truth to it, which is the Warriors have an incredibly difficult set of off-season moves to consider. And those of you that keep any close tabs on this type of stuff, you know where this is going. The big one is Draymond Green, 
who does, I believe, have a player option for this coming year at $28 million. And maybe he exercises that, and, and maybe that makes everything simple and straightforward. But if he doesn't, do they really want to give him what he's asking for, a longer deal? Clay Thompson has one more year on his contract for $43 million. So the Warriors are kind of getting to the end of this era, even if they don't want to acknowledge it. Like, they can try to make it last a little bit longer. Plus, they've got Jordan Poole, who's been a massive disappointment so far, signed that huge extension. It kicks in this coming year. Maybe he gets things turned around. Warriors are, for the most part, pretty hamstrung right now. There isn't a whole lot they can do. Even if Draymond opts out, and obviously they can bring him back because uh, he's been there for forever, but that's a team that's like hovering you $200, $200 million in payroll. And for Myers, he's probably looking at it like, you know what, we've we've taken this this train about as far as it can go. It's time for me to go find something else. I actually think he's having his press conference as we're recording this podcast. Perhaps the more interesting news in front office realm, is that the Philadelphia 76ers already have their guy and its former Raptors head coach, Nick Nurse. This is extremely notable because whatever you felt about Doc Rivers, he did at least try to keep his guys standing upright. I don't know if Nick Nurse brings the exact same way of of managing his players from Toronto to Philadelphia, or if this is more of like, okay, Nick, we need you to be an offensive guru for this team, but like I can't have you playing Joel Embiid 38 minutes a ball game because you won't have him in the playoffs. Still, we've seen what we've seen what we've seen kind of thing, and there's this whole like, what's that quote? Like if someone... Tells shows you who they are, believe them. Who the hell is that? Is that Maya Angelou? I think it is actually. Or if it's, been, I believe it's been attributed to her. I don't know if that's the actual, uh, the actual source. But um, hopefully, I mean, this is like the, do I believe the internet thing? I think so. It feels like something that someone of Angelou's incredible brain power would say but you never know the internet has confused me before um when someone shows you who they are believe them the first time i think is the is the full quote if i'm reading this right now um you know we've seen who nick nurse is you know you you can look at countless years now in toronto where his guys are always at the top of the nba in minutes per game this year, it was Pascal Siakam, number two, I think. Uh, might have been number one, even. Jason Tatum was way up there as well, but I think some of that stuff with Tatum is is because of playoff minutes pulling it up. Yeah, Pascal Siakam led the league in minutes per game. Probably would have led the damn league in total minutes, but a couple players squeezed past him by, you know, two or three games played kind of thing. That's this year. He was number one. Freddie Van Vliet was number five in that deal. Like, if you go to any year and just sort by minutes per game, it's always Raptors. Last year, numbers one and two, Siakam and Van Vliet. (laughs) 
It's damn right hilarious. Scotty Barnes, who was a rookie last year, was like 15th or 16th in minutes per game. This is notable because, for one, you know Nick Nurse cares about the regular season. By the way, the previous season, Julius Randle, James Harden, Freddie Van Vliet. They're always up there. Always. Kyle freaking Lowry, who could barely stand upright, was like number 18 in minutes per game under Nick Nurse. The reason this is notable is, and you know, we'll get to our Philadelphia Sixers breakdown at some point here in the next month or so. I, we're just sort of plodding along at this point. James Harden was already at 30, almost 37 minutes per game. Is there more there? Joel Embiid was at 34.6. Is there more there? Maybe it's more about the other guys. Maybe it's more about Tyrese Maxey at 33.6, and a half minutes per game this year. Maybe this is maybe this coming season you get the Tyrese Maxey jump ahead that everybody wanted to happen this year that didn't happen. I still don't fully know exactly where it's going to come from, but I mean, hell, if you add 10% minutes to a player, their stats usually follow by roughly 10%. Not exactly. You know, the production per minute tends to slow a bit as you approach 36 minutes, but it doesn't go, it doesn't level off completely. Is it more for Tobias Harris? I doubt it, but who knows? That's what Nick Nurse does. He finds the lineup that he trusts, and he runs them into the damn ground. Tom Thibodeau-esque, but with offense as the first focal point and then defense as the second focal point, whereas with, with Tibbs, it's the other way around. Does DeAnthony Melton lock in a, a larger role? Is he going to be like the Nick Nurse one dude off the bench who gets to play 28, 29 minutes a game? We don't really know off the top of our heads, and, and you know, I, again, I don't know how much more there is out there for a James Harden who was already approaching 37 minutes per game. He was in the top, what, four-ish players this year in minutes per game, but any time Nick Nurse comes into a, a spot, you need to at least assign a little bit of positive something, whatever you want to call it. Wash the numbers in a very slight positive He's going to probably get that team playing a little bit faster, if you had to guess. You know, Doc Rivers really leaned into the Joel Embiid style of offense. Which isn't a bad idea, because Embiid is uh, the MVP. Again, whether or not you thought it should have gone to Jokic or Embiid, uh, you know, Joel's an unbelievably skilled basketball player, and his, his combination of speed and power is... You get, the, you get that player like once every 20 years or so. You had Akeem, you had Shaq, Embiid is kind of that next iteration of, of that type of player. Um, not, as, not quite as dominant as, as those two guys, but, but pretty darn close. So then we get into this other side of the equation, which is, you know, James Harden played 58 games this regular season. He missed 24 of them. Embiid only missed 16 games this regular season, which by all accounts is kind of a win for him. What happens if Nick Nurse starts playing these guys an extra... What if Embiid gets an extra minute and a half per game? Is that ultimately good or bad for him? 
And what about Harden? Can he even squeeze any more out of that? It's hard to say. And those guys get drafted pretty darn early anyway, so uh, I don't know that you can make too much of an upward trajectory for Embiid, who was you know, top two in per game, and Harden, who you know, had stretches this year where he was hovering kind of near 10 to 13. He finished at number 17, so maybe he comes back up a little bit. But perhaps the name to watch is Tyrese Maxey. Maybe he just gets a little bit more in a bunch of different spots, and that's the guy, kind of the post-hype situation, that turns for next year. And we'll put a pin in things for now, because I just wanted to talk about some basketball. There's a lot going on in the NBA, and there's a lot of chatter about the Lakers offseason. Now we're going to get into the Boston Celtics offseason and whether or not they're going to pay Jalen Brown. All of this stuff is going to be worth talking about as we approach free agency. For now, we're just waiting on the finals. Tomorrow, we'll dive back into the next team in our season wraps, which I believe is the Minnesota Timberwolves. That should be an interesting one. They made some moves this season before and during. How does that impact the team going towards next season as well? Uh, We'll wrap that up on tomorrow's show. That'll be our Wednesday edition. Thanks again for understanding, everybody, that the streak is broken, but a new one begins now. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow.